I'm Henry Lincoln. This is Rob Hamden, and this is all about the product. And you wouldn't have heard that, listener, but there's this annoying new feature of Zoom where this voiceover is read out saying, this is being recorded. Anyway. Um, Thanks, Zoom. <laughs> slagging it off. We did a, you know, I'm doing this uh, product takedown thing. It's like mini bite-sized yeah. podcast. Uh, I did one that's coming out tomorrow, just slagging off. Actually, singing its praises for being so reliable and, and what Zoom lagging off butter in Microsoft Teams. <laughs> <laughs> I gave a caveat that they seem like a really nice team and they're getting there, but just they, they need are. it to work. It needs yeah. to be to have latency. Anyway, how's things? New haircut, new look. Sun's out in Berlin by the looks of it. I had to have a, a Chanel test. Uh, I actually I met um, with. Uh, a guy um, in Berlin today, and actually it, yeah. he was working in a co-working space, so naturally it was just the most sensible thing was to have a Chanel test. So I had a Chanel test yesterday, and I got a haircut at the same time. Well, not at the same someone. time, that would be weird. But um, <laughs> I- Up your nose, someone saw. <laughs> don't move, don't move. <laughs> How uh, was it up the nose one? They are really you know what? unpleasant. We this could have done one, read yeah, one today. Unpleasant. Um, this is a really funny story because I, I've only had two since Corona came out. The first one, that was my second one that I had yesterday. Yeah. And my, my Lisa and the girls, they always take the mic out of me because the first one, I couldn't get it done in the throat. So they would literally just like <laughs> uh, and, yeah. uh, What do you mean, couldn't get it done? Like, just gagging. Just, I kept gagging. Like, I just yeah, had yeah. a gag like, every time. You know. Rebecca called me dramatic for, yeah. I hate what? them. I hate them. We have to do. We've done like five now. Yeah. I'm. I'm not the biggest drama queen. I'm crying with the one up my nose, like gagging, like. Yeah. <laughs> gagging like a. Anyway. <laughs> the funny uh, thing was that um, I just thought they were all like that. So I went and had this test around the corner, and it was almost like a breeze in the park. Like it was just. I didn't even know the nose one had finished. Like, oh my god, no! It's, yeah, it depends. Like, it's, where was it? The one in Brazil. She was like, put arm up your nose, just like pumping <laughs> five times, <laughs> like really, so two hands chucking up there. Um, but I think that's how the first one was. Like, she was clearly it's fucking horrible. <laughs> with my sinuses, like, honestly, I was like, yeah, I was yeah. crying. I was spitting. It was must just... be quite funny to do be the person that does those. <laughs> Because you're not causing pain, just like severe discomfort to somebody. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got it. We've self-administered them, right? Because we're we're in we're back in the UK, so we've got three tests. We've done one and two, so you've got to like make yourself gag and then make yourself cry by sort of pumping it up there and twisting it around. Oh, really unpleasant. Hoping... I I've heard firsthand that they are actually checking on the country and they actually have sent people to to where you are we've had two people so get this um sorry anyone listening this is completely unproduct related um so we arrived and the sunday and then monday monday um i was i was actually dropping the test so you're allowed to do that so i was on my bike dropping the test off yeah at like a drop box and they called at my 80, I mean, at my like family house, 86 year old grandma picks up the phone. And it's like, she's not dementia, but sort of going in that direction. Oh. It's like, oh, yeah, she's like, oh, I think he's in the garden. It was like pissing down with rain at this point. 
Yeah. So that obviously put a red flag up. And then she passed the phone to Rebecca, who goes, oh, he's in a, in a work call. Another red flag. Yeah. Because they never spoke to me. So the next day, like, knock on the door and some guy's like, is Henry Latham here? I was like, yeah, that's me. Then the next day, another guy who asked for ID. Oh, okay. Whilst we've had a call every single day as well. And they do the same script. So you're there just like, I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. Do you, hello, I'm just calling about the, from the NHS track and trade. So are you happy to continue in English? I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then they give this whole spiel. But um, no, fair enough. I mean, I think the UK is yeah. being quite strict with it for good. Because basically, they don't want to put at risk this vaccination program. Yeah, exactly. It makes sense. If you've traveled, like, you know, it's your fault, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's... Um, it's a bit annoying though because we've done our day five today but yeah. we're only going to get results like tomorrow evening and like i've got 20 of my mates going to the pub at 7 p.m so whatever happens i'm out of here at 6 p.m yeah i was just like get my 87 year old grandpa to pretend to be me if anybody yeah anyway i get my vaccine next week Oh, nice. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in a week or two, actually. I think I'm in two weeks. My age group is 30. Yeah, I've got, got a call for next week, so that's pretty cool. You've got I book no which one. I booked the day off work the next day. I've had like four people that have cancelled meetings because they vaccine, and it was the next day, and they just said they're just completely wiped. That's uh, actually, oh, fuck, because I'm, yeah, oh, actually, that's, I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing a fucking Instagram live on that. Oh, no, it's good. That's actually on that day. That's perfect. That's yeah, yes, I think you're yeah, fine yeah. until it's like a hangover or a come down. Like the day yeah. after, the day is fine. <laughs> the <Yeah>. day after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, note to self, it does sound like a good idea, actually. Yeah, yeah. block it out, block it out. Um, anyway, how is yeah, what's, uh, what's going on in the product world? In the product world? Um, yeah, I feel like actually, I've been gone. Looking, no, no, I've just been doing loads of content. So I was like, there must be some cool stuff to talk about. But... Uh, no, I think that's it, really. I've been thinking a lot about this sort of unique unique insight thing. You know, what's like that that unique driver of a product? And yeah. Seeing it more and more and I'm sort of seeing it in also with students, like the ones that do quite well, the ones that are really good at, at discovering like what is that unique thing that customers really want about a product because it gives yeah. them such focus. Yeah. So, I mean, a Leap is a great example, right? It's like, we do sprints. We, we help you go from problem to solution really quickly. Yeah. Not just building a product, but building the right product. Exactly. Yeah. But it's always that sort of like higher level vision and strategy, which I think is just like, yeah. If you get that right, everything else is easy, yeah. essentially. Sometimes it can be quite hard as well. Kind of actually, like companies as well, I notice companies that when they, you know, this can be an established company or a startup, they know, like, actually, they know what their USP is, but actually communicating it is pretty mm, yeah, hard. Yeah. Or um, sticking to it. It's the sticking yeah, to it. That I'm like, yeah. why are you going after all this shiny new stuff? It's, oh, we could, like, you know, build, uh, I'm not going to give an example, but, um, you know, just and, and adding, like, three different products and features. Like, just yeah. do one thing really, really well, and that's yeah. fine. Like, don't worry but that, about I think it. companies do this, or certainly startups do this as well, because it's almost like an all-in, isn't it? It's like, this is their one chance to get data. And exactly. They don't, exactly. And, and it's, it feels like a bigger risk. Yeah. It's a perceived perceived risk i call it right so it's perceived as a much bigger risk yeah being like, oh, all closing doors to other things 
Yeah, they want to. But they forget there's such a low success rate with any, whether it's a startup or new product. Yeah. You have to be ruthlessly focused. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you get. I say that, but you know, product, annoyingly, products do survive when they're a bit mediocre. It's more that they, but they're constantly in a, in a like a red ocean, right? They're constantly fighting on pricing yeah. or feature parity. It's not a fun business to be in. Yeah, no, I know. It's like pretty much the same as like your other competitors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, what so else is what, new on your side? What is new on my side? We're um, wrapping up cohort. So, done the case studies for cohort four, kicking off with a new cohort in two weeks, which is exciting. I've just been head down working on content, like really. One, actually, that's a big learning I've had as well. It's like communicating ideas and like, how do you do that best? So I've been deep diving into the, the sort of theory of that. And um, I think it really comes down to like visualization and how do, you, how do you take these sort of complex, intangible things, like, like rather than features, like value, points of value, so speed or reliability. Yeah. And then how do you not only visualize them yourself but then communicate them effectively so part of that has been taking what we used to do so let's say all the assignments from okay you define a niche like some key hypotheses um you uh do discovery calls right to sort of speak to people and generate insights about the problem space and the niche you're looking at and then you sort of aggregate that into common themes and you flip those into opportunities opportunities then lead you to specific solutions you might offer so all of that's been used to be done in like google sheets and and and, um google docs for example and now what i'm doing is trying to make sure everything's super easy so it's all in one miro board and there's a visual tree of how these elements connect to each other and like color coded post-it notes that you can use as you construct like your vision statement right you're using a post-it note card from what the niche is what the desired outcome is what specific opportunity you've seen in the marketplace. Um, hard to do, sorry, hard to communicate this without visualizing it, obviously, but yeah. it's no, basically no, I, about just how do you strip things down into like really manageable, really understandable things. That's a massive problem in product and particular product strategy, for example. It's seen as this like super complex thing. It's like, you know, you need a PhD in machine learning to have any... Yeah. I don't think it is actually. It's about how do you get to understand what that unique insight might be. It's just piecing it together. And I, I think you've exactly. a really interesting point there because like especially in workshops, and this is, you know, sometimes the, the, the one of the worst things about sprints that is so kind of seemingly fragmented. People only really understand yeah. like afterwards, like the process. And I think there's a, I mean, it doesn't mean it needs to be changed because it's designed to be that disruptive in the first place just to get results and you know it's not yeah, meant to make yeah. people feel comfortable but um i recently got exposed to like the story brand canvas and i really the example that i saw i really liked and it described exactly how you kind of piece you know yeah, yeah, yeah. we've used we're using that now so that's a, one of the things that we've done to, to visualize yeah it. and i think it's really cool because especially as well like with the, i can't remember what it's called it's like um uh this i can't remember what it is the, uh, the one of the last pieces it's almost like in design thinking it would be called like the problem uh, the problem statement where you oh, define exactly success versus failure something like well, they've that. got the problem where it's like internal external philosophical yeah, uh, the second block. So you define the hero. What do they want? And then you go into yeah. Uh, here it what is. are the, oh, the, the problems? 
Um, on this example, it was called the one-liner, uh, basically, um, and it's all color-coded based on, um, you know, what their objective is for, for doing this. Uh, and it, you know, it ties in, I'm going to just show you something on screen really quickly because I don't want to show too much about what it is, but you kind of, you write this paragraph and then you pull in exactly like the components right. from post-its to describe exactly which part of that problem that it's kind oh, of that's cool that's not the story brand canvas is it that was a ver or maybe there's a variation of it but it's a variation the first time i've seen it um that's but I really, really that's like exactly it. what we do and i've never seen someone else do that um yeah so the, which, I mean, no i imagine there are people but i've, I've never seen it yeah because yeah again it's like how do you it's you know it's how do you it's basically a maths equation it's a yeah. the minimal viable offer is something we we put together is is so the minimal viable offer mvo is very basically how do you validate your strategy or what value people want from you before committing to anything yeah so an example of an mvo would be we fast so the the formula is we help niche achieve des their desired outcome with opportunity yeah. so for example like in our case it's we fast track product managers or frustrated product managers the niche to head of product it's a desired outcome like career growth in a really concrete way with yeah. opportunity so an eight-week intensive boot camp for example yeah. and you can just put that on a landing page or like a linkedin header uh you have it as well right you have an mbo statement yeah um and that that simply shows okay is are we getting signal back like, are people interacting with this if we do cold outreach like, are they engaging if we survey people uh, with, you know, five variations of this, which one do people really engage with? Yeah. And uh, so that though, it's, it's a formula, right? It's a basic formula. So you just insert the niche and you insert this desired outcome. Yeah. And that, that's it, right? And, and that then becomes your, your vision ultimately. Yeah. So part of what we're doing is like, how do you make, let's say that take the desired outcome, that thing somebody really wants, right? So related to status or wealth or power or sense of community, like, well, how do you work out what that is? This is what trying to, well, I think we've successfully done it now where you aggregate, say, all your notes from five user interviews initially into themes, flip a problem into an opportunity. And then from the opportunity, you see what's the common thing tying it together. So an example I gave was, let's say you've got, um, uh, right, frustrated, uh, young, I think this will be a thing next year, by the way, frustrated young mothers who are working from home. They're going to be unable to go to the office and miss out on all of that interaction. But let's say you do all the, the interviews and you get various uh, various problems that come through, like um, outside of office politics, right? I miss social events, for example. Um, yeah. Miss career opportunities. You can basically get what ties that together works, really lack of career growth in some way. And ultimately, then you make that maybe a little bit more concrete, like promotion, and you've got then the, this desired outcome they're looking for, like that high-level thing somebody's looking for. So what we're really doing at Prodomir is making like, how do you, you've got that MVO formula, how do you sort of aggregate everything else in a really easy way so it's sort of, it's just obvious, that, oh yeah, okay, we look at all these notes and these problems and we spit out a desired outcome on the other yeah. side of it. But I mean, you, sort like, of what sprints do, right? With I mean, it's yeah. visual. Everything's visual. Exactly. But like when when you're when you're determining those kind of components from different workshop sessions, like are you aiming for like the final, or is this something that you know you would then iterate on, like as in your 
trying to pull it through. Well, you define and then validate. So, exactly. so you, you'd come up with your MBA from speaking to, you'd come up with some initial hypotheses, right? About who the niche yeah. is, what they want. But you stay very detached from them early on. So you, you, your MBA would emerge from your user interviews, right? Yeah. That, that statement of value, which is really your product vision and can become more concrete as, as a product strategy. Yeah. Um, almost yeah, what like we teach is almost... Well, so everything we say is like you have to then even, okay, so you've come up with your MV, you have to then go and validate that, like on a landing page or do some yeah. cold outreach. Like every step of the way is checking in, like, is, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? Because if yeah. you get the high level stuff wrong, that directs everything you're going to do, like any yeah. kind of solution you build. So you, you have to get it right or yeah. you, you are inevitably going to build the wrong thing. Yeah. Why week, I mean, week one to four, we don't even talk about a solution. Yeah, like you no, are good. focusing, obsessing over the product yeah. strategy, validating the product strategy. Yeah. And there's so many parallels here as well, because I know on the week one of the sprint, everybody does solution sketches, but really they are literally, they are produced to dip your toe into the water to find out whether you're even heading in the right direction. So yeah. they might kind of materialize the solutions, but really they're just almost like test carriages to find out, okay, these were assumptions that we came up with. This is what we've kind of materialized. And we think this kind of UI might work in this instance for this product. Tell us what you think. And even if you know that like, it's likely to not be 100% accurate, that's mm. actually fine because all you want to do is the feedback you want to get is like, oh yeah, no, this is definitely not quite right. I was thinking something more like blah, blah, blah. Although to you, what are the, because this is what I love, um, getting people to do it by themselves in the pandemic. It's the realization of like, it's even if you get loads of feedback and like this is a crap idea it's really hard to like shift the momentum so it's moving one that you know you've committed spent loads of money on a sprint and you've sort of maybe got you know explain what you're up to to leadership i mean it's oh yeah we're going to scrap that because it didn't work you need a cultural the prerequisite is good open culture for that to happen Yeah, like, <laughs> um, I'm trying to, I've lost, actually lost my train of thought now, but, um, but basically, um, yeah, like all you're trying to do is you're just, you're just trying to um, have them confirm or reaffirm like what they've agreed with you up front so that then after the workshop or after the sprint or after design thinking, whatever it may be, they, if that data doesn't marry up to what their expectations were, I don't actually have a problem in playing that back for them so they can actually hear it. Apologies for fudge sneezing in the background, but um, mm. it's basically, you know, then they have to acknowledge it. But what I would say is that typically if something is fundamentally broken on a week one, we normally have enough data to understand like how you can pivot more accurately to kind of make mm. a more uh, like valuable and compelling like um, offering. So there's trade-offs for sure. But of course you have to manage like the, 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 the people, the, the stakeholder the you know decider um you know if it's not going to work and you have to be able to have a convincing kind of uh, conversation with data to support why they shouldn't carry on with it yeah and i suppose also it's about um there's like that that i don't know if you had like counterfactual arguing so it's like what would have happened if the sprint didn't happen in many companies they probably just wouldn't have done anything right they just would have planned stuff that never got put into action so i suppose by pushing them into you know coming up with a hypothesis and testing it 
you're starting to set a, a train in motion of lean product development essentially yeah and we've all been there like and maybe some of the people that are listening appreciate that that when you haven't run like these expedited workshops uh, you just lost your picture so hopefully you're recording Um, i'm gonna i'm gonna keep my video off because the um, internet's a bit slow yeah, no worries. And what I was going to say was, yeah, when you run these expedited workshops, like if you, it, or if you didn't run them, I should say, like this is when, you know, you have these product lifestyle, like it just, you feature creep or like new features just get crammed in last minute because they're having to kind of pivot on the fly and these things haven't been validated. And this is why product life cycles tend to like go from, you know, a couple of months to several months or even a year. Because, you know, this is what happens when product, people build products without validating them. They feel like they have to keep up with the trends or their competitors doing something. So they better add that feature. And this is when it just becomes a massive just cluster of just features where nothing is validated. And, and it's going to ultimately just lengthen their, their time to market. So this is like the really interesting thing of like when you run these short product cycles in like sprints or design thinking, or you know, like your product MBA, for example, this is when you can actually cap, okay, this is where we are right now, this is what we need to test, this is what we're gonna get data on, let's get that in a very short space of time, and then we can make the necessary decisions accordingly for the best um, like potential for that product. Yeah, that, yeah, that, no, that definitely makes sense. Because I think, I suppose it's, uh, I mean, it's again, it's just forcing people to like, get out there and, and start testing things, and get into that habit of, of, of being lean about it yeah um, exactly lean is keen <laughs> I just, yeah lean is keen but it's, again it's like this i find it so interesting the um psychological aspect of lean because it is so easy to read about this stuff or you know to do a sprint and come up with a prototype but but to actually be able to adapt and be true to it and and detach yourself you know ego and and um stay objective as well right when you've got the pressure of you know cash running out if it's a startup or you know your your boss is putting pressure on you it's quite hard to stay equanimous sorry to approach it with equanimity and sort of calm and rationality um and i think that's exactly why with product MBA, we get people to go through the real process of building a real product because they're not going to learn. They're not going to. They're not going to internalize. Yeah. How do you actually do this in practice? Right? They're just going to read. Oh, this is how you do a user interview. What's yeah. really different if you've got five different user interviews saying five different things? What do you you know select? Cause it's not as simple as going. Well, three out of five said this, so that should be our unique insight. It's yes. not the case at all. Oh, I know. It's really yeah. tricky. Yeah, it is. It's a balance of everything. And there's, um, yeah, so many moving parts. But that's the fun. <laughs> that's true. No, it is fun. Once you embrace it, it's good fun. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap up, actually. Um, what did we cover at the beginning? Oh, yeah. It's escaping the COVID <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> Checked on 24-7. <laughs> Some dude with binoculars outside. Um We've escaped. We're back in London. Um, what did we talk about in the middle? 
Um, we spoke about, there was a bit about the, uh, like the problem statement and when you have, uh, we've touched upon the story brand canvas and- uh, Yeah, and uh, also the visualization of frameworks yeah. is a, a very interesting topic. Tricky one though to do with just audio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would yes. help visualizing these things. Yeah. And uh, touching upon a couple of the, the pros and cons of sprints as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, basically general, oh, there was another good thing as well, where it was um, uh, like continuity in workshops. Like, so you can apply like logic to why you move along on a certain um, workshop exercises. That was uh, yeah. a very long Oh yeah, that's actually something I'd love yeah. to deep dive into. Yeah, I think that would be really good as workshop. well. Yeah, I think so too. Anyway. Apologies for some of the audio issues. Um, if you do listen, then we are moving this to a monthly check-in, by the way, rather than every two weeks. And uh, hopefully, I don't think the next one, but the one after, hopefully we'll be in Berlin in August. Yay. Or a live episode with a beer as well. Yeah, that would be great, actually. That Thanks so much for listening. I've been Henry Latham. I've been Rob. Rob Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see you soon.